Hey, this is Adrian Hernandez, and welcome to the NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speaker and ask some of the tough and interesting questions you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of our Grand Rounds content can be found at rethinkingclinicaltrials.org. Thanks for joining. Hi, this is Wendy Weber. I work at the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health at the National Institutes of Health. Today we're here with Leslie Curtis, Patrick Haggerty, and Keith Marsalo, who will be reflecting on the EHR workshop series, Advances at the Intersection of Digital Health, Electronic Health Records, and Pragmatic Clinical Trials. Just as a little bit of background, um, the Healthcare Systems Research Collaboratory started holding an annual workshop in conjunction with our steering committee meeting in 2016. We've had discussions about uh, ethics, dissemination and implementation, A versus B trials, as well as design and analysis, all of pragmatic trials. This fifth workshop advances at the intersection of digital health, electronic health records, and pragmatic trials was recently converted from an in-person meeting to a grand round series that was conducted over the last two months. We had a series of moderated panel discussions talking about the use of digital technologies in pragmatic trials, some lessons learned from some of the collaboratory demonstration projects, and how existing data structures and platforms could be expanded not only for conducting pragmatic trials, but for rapidly disseminating evidence and information to relevant decision makers. We started off on May 1st with our keynote from Dr. Califf talking about whether or not the COVID crisis could lead to reform of the evidence-based uh, evidence generation system. Uh, we then were followed on May 8th with a panel moderated by Patrick Haggerty looking at real-world evidence and non-traditional electronic health records. On May 29th, we had a session that I moderated um, talking about the experiences from collaboratory pragmatic trials. And then on June 26th, just last week, we finished up with a panel session looking at keys to success in the evolving electronic health records environment that was moderated by Keith Marsalo. So, uh, Leslie, you moderated the first uh, keynote session with Dr. Califf. What are some of the highlights from his presentation that you want to share with everyone? Uh, thanks, Wendy. It was a great way to start the, the workshop series, wasn't it? Um, so, you know, Dr. Califf made um, made several points, three, three of which really, really stuck with me. Um, the first was just noting what has been truly a rapid acceleration toward virtual designs or hybrid kind of combination designs um, during this COVID pandemic, um, really moving quickly toward direct from patient data collection, which is something we've talked about for a long time, but to see such rapid movement in such a short period of time has really been, has really been striking. Um, you know, he also made a point really directly relevant to our workshop um, series uh, topic that the ingredients for interoperability and access to health records, they, they exist and they have existed. Um, putting them together is what remains a problem and gave a few examples of um, where we've seen those, those challenges arise again um, in work moving uh, in this in this COVID pandemic era. 
And then, um, you know, the final point that really stuck with me was how um, if we use digital information, whether that be electronic health records, telehealth, or apps, if we use them effectively, we should be able to free up effort, human effort, right, to address the the really important human components that often hold us back in, in research. So those are probably the three big takeaways that, that I had. It was a, a rich discussion um, after his talk as well. Yeah, it was really interesting sort of talking about where we could go and, and how fast some things are moving right now um, with really transforming uh, how quickly we can, we can generate evidence. Um, Patrick, you led the, the first panel discussion with some of our experts talking about real-world evidence and non-traditional electronic health records. What were some of the key takeaways you had from, from that presentation? Yeah, thanks, Wendy. First, I want to say the speakers for that session and their topics, and then I'll give some comments um, from my perspective. We were really fortunate to have Jacqueline Corrigan Coray from the FDA, who's the director of CEDAR's Office of Medical Policy. Um, and she set the stage by talking about real-world data <clears throat> as, a, as a building of the foundation, and then expanded on that with respect to generating real-world evidence. And then Josh Denny, um, who's now the chief executive officer of NIH's All of Us research program, he presented a, a different angle, which was really around how to leverage clinical data to advance discovery. Um, and so that was really exciting, looking at the multiple sources of data that we have available clinically and then how to combine them in ways to characterize a person's health status, often called phenotyping or clinical phenotyping or electronic phenotyping, um, and gave really uh, wonderful examples from his experience um, at Vanderbilt, um, uh, doing science, uh, leveraging those multiple sources of data. I think for me, the, the highlights that really um, stood out for me was Dr. Corrigan Coray. She she did talk about the foundation around data standards, but was really um, wise to articulate after that comes research design and analysis and ultimately evidence. And so when we talk about real world data, we often think about observational data and the context is observational for EMR data, but the study design is frequently randomized, like many of the trials we've done, or almost all the trials as part of the collaboratory. So I really like that reminder, real-world data um, can be coupled with randomized designs. Um, and she did set the stage for the variety of clinical data sources that are available, including, as Leslie mentions, uh, digital sources, and how we look future, future uh, oriented towards leveraging those opportunities. And then um, Josh Denny, I think, gave wonderful examples of how we can try and sharpen our measurement um, using electronic data sources, sharpen that by combining the data sources, and then actually thinking creatively about how to use those uh, data sources ultimately to make a phenotype, but, but oftentimes it's kind of a a predictive phenotype, and so we can retain the richness of the the score 
that may underlie uh, that predicted phenotype. So two really well-received talks, um, really nice summaries of where we've been, and then a vantage for where we're going. Great. Thanks, Patrick. And, you know, Wendy, I'd, I'd like to actually turn to you and, and ask you to share your reflections on the panel that you moderated, really highlighted kind of what we've learned and what the collaboratory demonstration projects have learned. Yeah, sure thing, Leslie. We were we were quite lucky to have um, four of our pragmatic trial PIs join us um, to talk about some of the lessons they've learned and hopefully um, help people to address some of these similar issues as, as they're thinking about designing and, and conducting other trials in, in electronic, utilizing electronic health records or trying to sort of embed these studies into healthcare systems. So I'll, um, as I talk through um, sort of each of the speakers, I'll give an example of sort of uh, my key takeaway from, from each of their talks. So Dr. Uh, Jerry Jarvik from the University of Washington talked about the, the Lear study um, where uh, they did a trial in, in patients with, with back pain. And one of the things that they really leveraged was the electronic health record, both for diagnostic information, but also for procedural codes. And that when you're doing that, um, he talked quite a bit about really needing to understand how those codes are used. And in this trial, they were working across multiple healthcare systems and the, the reality that there's really important information in how those codes are used differently across sites and that you really need to understand how those codes are used before you just pull the data using those codes so that you're really able to combine the information across sites so that you have, that you're actually using similar information even though the codes may be somewhat different um, based more on culture or context of, of how things are coded in one particular healthcare system. So I think that was really useful for people to think about. I think a lot of times we hear from the community, oh, the data's all there and you just have to pull it. You have to understand how the data is being coded into the system to really be able to utilize it well. Um, and then Linda Barr also joined us from um, Kaiser Permanente Washington Health Research, and she ran the, the PPAC study done across several different Kaiser systems. And she really talked to us a lot about the um, leveraging and, and using patient reported outcomes that might be part of the electronic health record and really being able to understand and look at different strategies when that data isn't as routinely collected as you might hope it to be for a research study. And um, what are different effective ways to augment those patient reported outcomes and I think um, as part of her discussion, one of the things she, she sort of talked about was this idea of might we want to think about uncoupling the collection of those patient reported outcomes so that they're not always or not only collected at the clinic visit because patients may be slightly different when they need to schedule a, a visit to see a clinician versus when they're functioning potentially much better at home and not needing to come in for a visit. And I think it, it sparked a pretty interesting conversation um, to, to think about um, what's the, the pros and cons of potentially uncoupling those data collections. And then Doug Zatzik joined us, also from the University of Washington School of Medicine, to talk about the TSO study, which is done across trauma centers. 
And I think he sort of had one of these sort of big key sort of take-home messages, which was really sort of about if if you really want to do a pragmatic trial, there are a couple of things that can can really make it difficult. And one that he said that um, if you want to design a pragmatic trial for success, select an endpoint that's already routinely collected in clinical care um, that will be informative. And the other is uh, run your trial and collect your outcomes in a way that does not impede clinic workflow. And that if you can accomplish those things, you have a much higher chance of success in completing your trial with without as much missing data. And I think those were really good um, suggestions and recommendations that uh, he certainly learned uh, uh, in doing his TSO study. And then finally, uh, Vince Moore um, from Brown uh, University School of Public Health talked to us about the proven trial. And I think you know he provided just this really elegant example of how how to go beyond maybe the data that you might only think you have access to initially in in the healthcare systems that you're partnering with, which in his case was nursing homes. And because he was working with an older adult population, they actually went and looked at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services data to their virtual research data center to actually be able to capture much richer and much more complete data on health service utilization and even mortality and in a way that was quickly available, which really for him, he described it as a game changer to be able to do research in that population. Um, there are some limitations, um, including not being able to get data nearly as quickly on Medicare Advantage participants, but that thinking about where else can you get data, um, sort of what Patrick was talking about with the previous panel, to sort of expand the completeness of the data that you have on your participants, where can you look for those linkages? I think was a really uh, insightful lesson um, that that Vince brought to everyone. That's it's an excellent summary, Wendy, and you've highlighted really so many of the specific learnings from collaboratory projects that are really generalizable to the next set of of pragmatic trials. Keith, I'd, I'd like to turn to you and maybe um, hear from you your reflections on the the panel that you moderated that was focused really on, you know, what those keys to success are in the the ever changing EHR environment. Sure, sure. Thanks, Leslie. So, um, you know, I think there was a lot of great great learnings. It was a, a a great set of speakers, and so you know, what I was I was struck by was. So we had, you know, um, Dr. Rachel Richardson outline, you know, how each of the collaboratory projects are, are leveraging the EHR, um, you know, whether it was in terms of determining eligibility for patients, delivering an intervention or, or you know, the ascertainment of outcomes. And, you know, obviously the trials would be using one of those, but I think what I was, at least one of those, I, but what I was struck by is, is um, almost 60% of the studies that, you know, sort of in the collaboratory um, we're using the EHR for all three uh, components. And so I think that really demonstrates the potential. And then it, it is a great opportunity learning um, sort of uh, best practices and, and you know, what, what to do and what not to do. And, and so in that, you know, in that spirit, um, we had Dr. Holt Oliver, you know, outline several of the challenges that, that, that his team faced um, in completing the, the ICD pieces trial and, and a lot of, you know, real practical suggestions on, on how to address them. You know, I think we we tend to get hung up on um, 
you know, certain, you know, whether the data are, are in the EHR or, or not, but, um, and, you know, how things are coded and, 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 and so forth. But, you know, he actually um, was describing, you know, some of the more practical things that need to be faced, such as, you know, if you've got a trial that's, that's running over five years, you know, how do you deal with, with EHR upgrades and, and staffing changes? And so if you expect that an analyst, you know, may stay uh, at a site for a year or two on average, and you've got 20 sites in five years, you know, that could be a fair amount of turnover. So, you know, those, those things seem to be mundane and it's not necessarily what you would, what you would normally think to plan for. But, um, you know, he, I think he really stressed the, the importance of, of having, um, having that kind of planning in place so that, um, you know, it doesn't jeopardize the, the potential completion of your trial. Um, and then, you know, we had Dr. Chris Longhurst um, describe a future version, a future vision, excuse me, of, of how we might use the EHR to support um, pragmatic research. And then I think specifically in the context of uh, really more of a learning health system. Um, so I think, you know, building on some of his previous research where they talked about the concept of a, of a green button, if you will, where you could, uh, you know, pull up, uh, if you had a patient, you could pull up and say, what are, what are some of the outcomes of, of, of similar patients? Uh, so I would know what to do, you know, so that's great for identifying um, potential treatment. Um, but, you know, I think what, what he really highlighted was, you know, there's lots of areas where we have gaps and, you know, specifically around, you know, things like COVID and, and you know, what treatment should you use? Um, and so, you know, I think identifying those gaps and then rapidly starting new trials um, to, to help determine, you know, effectiveness, I think it's a it's a really um, uh, powerful use case. And I think it hints it uh, hits it what what's what's possible. So I think as we've sort of described, you know, the challenge with EHR-based research has always been an issue of scale. And so, you know, it was really great uh, to hear from uh, Dr. Teresa Zayas-Caban um, about what the Office of the National Coordinator is doing, you know, to really identify and advance um, research priorities as they relate to, to health IT. Um, and, you know, I think there's been a lot more movement in, um, in, in recent years about sort of um, uh, adoption of standards through, you know, legislation like 21st Century Cures. And so I think as these priorities get picked up by the EHR vendors and uh, uh, adopted across the industry, I think that that should go a long way towards, you know, simplifying the the, the startup and the conduct of, of these um, EHR-based pragmatic trials. Yeah, that was a, it was a great summary, Keith, of, of a really rich set of presentations. And you touched on, on a few things that I think raise a broader question maybe that I'd like to ask um, some of the other moderators to weigh in on as well. And that is, like, as we think back to the beginning of the collaboratory, what do we what do we think some of the key advances have been, especially in the, the EHR space and, and do we have a do we have a prediction about what the what the future big challenge might be? I don't know, Wendy or um, Patrick. Any any thoughts about that? So this is Wendy. I can I can speak a little bit from the from the funder side. I think one of the big challenges we continue to face is sort of working across different health record systems. I think we're getting better, um, but I still think. It's, it's challenging. And, um, you know, certainly um, Onk's ability to have some consistency across programs and um, having some similarities. But when the, the EHRs are sort of um, built to allow customization, 
it makes it more difficult to combine across different systems. And so uh, as a funder, I think that's one of the things that, that we hear most often in sort of peer review and in challenges and questions that people have when there's an idea that you're going to combine data across electronic health records. I certainly think it's possible, but it's it's not as easy as um, I think most of our investigators have, have figured out how to do this, but it's much more work than um, I think some people um, initially believe coming into this field. Patrick or Keith, what do you guys think? Yeah, Wendy, I'll add to that just, you know, briefly measurement and quality measurement is at the core of all science. And I think we've learned to be really careful to understand the measurement we're obtaining um, from the medical record and to figure out how best to use it, to understand when it's fit for purpose and when it's not. And then I think looking forward, we'll, we'll continue to expand our ability to get quality measurements either through standardization efforts or through, you know, direct to participant uh, technologies. I think there's a lot of excitement around that. So great reminder that, that quality of measurement is at the core of all we're doing. Yeah, and I think maybe the only thing that I would add to all of that is, you know, the sort of the things that you would, you would try to measure on, on patients, um, uh, for in, in many cases, particularly for pragmatic trials, those are often things that you would want to know about um, for, in order to provide uh, patient care. And so I, I still believe that, you know, as we as we move towards, you know, trying to use artificial intelligence in healthcare and precision med- medicine and, and things of that nature, um, you know, those algorithms and, and, and activities are best served by having, you know, high quality, reliable data on patients. And so I do think that um, the, the, the types of um, features in the EHR that we that we need to support that are the same things that we need for, for the actual trials. And so I, I like to think that we're moving towards a convergence there. That's great. One additional question that sort of came to mind for me as I was sort of um, reflecting back on all of, you know, sort of relying on the electronic health record and digital capture of a lot of this information is, you know, we are in these pragmatic trials, there's always this tension and balance between trying to be sort of as minimally invasive as possible and and still do the experiment um, and trying to get, you know, really high quality data like you were talking about, Patrick. And I think um, we often will bring up the Precy wheel as sort of that continuum between the explanatory and the more pragmatic. And, you know, as we've seen some of these studies come to completion and and sort of unblind and and look, um, we're finding that the implementation challenges are real and that the intervention may not have had as much uptake or has maybe not as much adherence or fidelity um, as one had hoped when planning the study. And I'm wondering your thoughts about whether in doing these pragmatic trials, might we need to figure out ways to monitor more in real time either fidelity or adherence? And would there be any time points that we might want to intervene so that we're sure we're still doing the experiment <laughs> that we thought we were trying to do from the beginning? 
And I'm curious everyone's thought about sort of those tensions on the explanatory to the pragmatic side. Um, certainly from the funder's perspective, we want to make sure the experiment's being done. Um, but how do we do that if we're relying more on these digital tools and other things when we do pragmatic trials? It's a really great question, Wendy. And, you know, a couple of things that come to mind for me First of all, I think we absolutely have to figure out a way to do that. Um, that is to actively monitor fidelity in in real time. In terms of how and when we do that, I think it depends. It will depend a lot on on the actual trial that's being undertaken. Um, I, I think the other the other thing though that we can do as a community is really encourage people to be um, candid and share what is happening in their trials in real time. And that's something I would say that you and um, Kathy Myers um, at the NIH have really done throughout the collaboratory, which is encourage people to share what they're learning, what their challenges are with respect to, to fidelity and, um, and adherence so that we can learn where the stumbles are and then figure out how to advise people to advise them in the future. Um, so I'll save the how and when for, for the, the others on the, the panel to, to comment on. Yeah, Wendy, I'll just add a couple of quick comments. The, the role of a data and safety monitoring board is crucial because it's an external body that holds you accountable to the conduct of your trial. So having fidelity be part of that uh, conduct evaluation and having an external group um, to report to, uh, I think is powerful. You ask a really hard question around when when pragmatic becomes variable, you know, a broad range of, of participants and oftentimes a broad range of variations on a given intervention. Um, how do we retain signal when we're introducing noise in, in both maybe the who and the what that we're studying, I think it's a huge challenge. I think we have to be a little more thoughtful than about um, secondary analysis of big pragmatic trials and try and study some of those sources of variation. And and then the other thing that I would I would maybe add is um, you know I, I to the extent that a, that an intervention could be essentially deconstructed into into various components that might be a little more amenable to. Um, implementation in the EHR. So, you know, um, lots of EHRs have different ways of, you know, defining lists of patients, for instance. And so, you know, rather than, than be specific around this, this big package that needs to be implemented, can you, can you, can you break it into different pieces um, that can then be tailored for the individual EHRs? And so it, it, it's a, it's a, it's more complicated as a design, um, but it, it may be a little more tractable and it may not work for all studies, but I, I, I think that, that that's one thing that can be um, considered as you as you go forward because um, in, in many cases it's it's actually those subcomponents that are the most value um, most valuable, not the, the sort of the, the packaging and the construction around it. And so I think that that could be something else that people consider as they as they go forward. Yeah, I think it's a really important issue that we'll need to, 
to keep discussing um, as we look at these and as we learn as more and more of these trials get completed, um, what's worked and what hasn't, um, I think is something that we'll, we'll pay close attention to. Please join us for our next podcast as we continue to highlight fascinating and informative changes in the research world. Thanks for joining today's NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Let us know what you think by rating this interview on our website, and we hope to see you again on our next Grand Rounds, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you.